0: Hello, everyone. My name is Tom. I'm a first-year student studying law and psychology, and I'll be bringing us the Bible reading today in the handouts from the first verses 1 to 29 of Genesis chapter 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said. Please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every house of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded their house. They called to Lot "'Where are the men who came to you tonight? "'Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them.' "'Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him "'and said, "'No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. "'Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. "'Let me bring them out to you "'and you can do whatever you like to them. "'But don't do anything to these men, "'for they have come under the protection of my roof.' "'Get out of our way,' they replied." This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, Or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, «Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife of his, and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, «Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away». But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favour in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to them, Very well. I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly because I can't do, cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulphur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived.
1: Well, this semester, we've been looking at the life of Abraham, uh, just a run-of-the-mill Babylonian pagan, uh, until God spoke to him and promised him the land of Canaan, uh, promised him land, offspring, uh, and blessing. Uh, Here we are, we've got it in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, land, offspring, and blessing. Uh, And in chapter 15, we got to see what that blessing actually is where God said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, So Abraham didn't earn right relationship with God. Um, God just sort of bought it for him with his uh, heavenly credit card and said, there you go, have the righteousness just for believing in me just for trusting my promises. Uh, And that is the blessing. Land, offspring, and right relationship with God. But it does kind of raise a question, doesn't it? Why does a right relationship with God actually matter? Uh, Because, I mean, I talk to uh, non-Christian students around uni, and uh, most of them don't feel any particular need to have a right relationship with God, or they assume that they've already got it. Say, hey, thanks for the chat. Do you want to catch up again and chat some more about God? Nah, thanks, mate. I'm fine. You know, life's going pretty well for me at the moment. Thanks. And it probably is. (laughs) If you're at UWA, chances are life is going pretty well for you. And in all honesty, it'll probably keep going pretty well for you. Jesus himself says that his heavenly father causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what benefit is there in being right with God if you get the perks anyway? And actually, if you think about it, it gets worse because the Apostle Paul warns that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So actually, when you weigh it up, following God might actually leave you worse off than not. Because you could like not be right with him and you get the sun, you get the rain, and you avoid the persecution. What's the benefit in actually being right with God? Why is being right with God a blessing? Well, that's what we're going to look at today in Genesis 18 and 19. Uh, Chapter 18 begins with three men visiting Abraham. Uh, And as the story goes on, it becomes apparent that uh, it's the Lord with two of his wingmen. Uh, He's got two angels with him. And Abraham, uh, I don't know whether he recognises who they are immediately, but he's incredibly hospitable. He leaps up and he rushes around and he organises this huge meal for them. Uh, it's all very, uh, very hasty and undignified for a hundred-year-old man to be doing. I don't know if you've seen old men run, but it's never very dignified. He organises this huge feast for them. And then we basically get a repeat of what happened in chapter 17. Back then, Abraham laughed when the Lord told him that he and his wife, Sarah, were going to have a child. Uh, And the Lord rebuked him gently for laughing. Now the Lord repeats the promise and Sarah laughs. And again, the Lord gently rebukes her. Then we get to verse 16 and it says, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. So we discover that actually the Lord, is his ultimate destination was not Abraham. His ultimate destination is the city of Sodom. Which raises the question, why did he stop in at Abraham's on the way? Did he just want to catch up with his mate? Did he just want to repeat what he'd already said in chapter 17? Did he just feel like a good feed? Why has he stopped in at Abraham's on the way? Uh, Well, we start to get an answer in chapter 18, verse 17, uh, where the Lord has this little soliloquy. He says to himself, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I've chosen him. You think, okay, um, but why have you chosen him, God? He goes on. So that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. So the Lord decides, yeah, I will, I will tell Abraham what I'm about to do. This is important so that he'll bring up his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing what's right and just. And then that in turn will lead... Uh, It will be the way that he receives what God has promised. And so the Lord does tell Abraham what he's about to do, verse 20. Uh, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that's reached me. If not, I'll know. And so two of the men, the two angels, head off towards the town of Sodom. And the third one, the Lord, remains standing before Abraham. It's kind of like God is just there waiting, waiting for Abraham to say something. And Abraham does. Uh, He's concluded, rightly, that if God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, that is, check out how wicked they are, then God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. That is, they're going to get destroyed. They're notoriously wicked and their day of judgment has come. But if you've read the earlier chapters of Genesis, you know that there's a problem because uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, is living in Sodom. And so Abraham pleads with God in verse 24. Um, And he says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Uh, Yeah, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far there from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike? Far there from you will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord responds, well, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham speaks up again. He says, oh, Now that I've been so bold as to uh, speak to the Lord, although I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous people is five less than 50? Would you destroy the whole city for the sake of five? And God replies, if I find 45 there, I'll not destroy it. And this sort of thing goes on and on and on until they get down to 10. And the Lord replies, for the sake of 10, I'll not destroy it. And at that point, Abraham stops. Now, what's going on here? Because at first glance, it kind of looks like Abraham is bargaining with God. The God was actually really keen on destroying 50 righteous people along with the wicked. But Abraham, through his cunning haggling, managed to get him down to 10. Or down to nine, actually. But is that really what's happening? Because... When you're bargaining with someone, don't you usually set your sort of contrasting opening offers and then you kind of work into the middle? Like, yeah, I'm going to destroy it with 50. Oh, how about 10? Mm, I could come down to 40. Well, what about 20? Well, well, all right, let's, let's settle for 30. But that's not actually what happens here. Abraham says, won't you spare Sodom for 50 righteous people? And God says, yes. Uh, okay, well, uh, how about 45 then? Yep. Uh, okay, uh, 40? Sure. Uh, mm, 30? Yep. 20? Yes, I'll spare it for 20. Uh, what about 10? Yep. Either God is a terrible haggler <laughs> or he's trying to teach us something. What is God showing us? Well, what's Abraham's starting assumption? I think he starts by assuming that God might destroy the righteous along with the wicked. And so the question is, well, is that right? Will God destroy the righteous along with the wicked? And at this point, we don't quite know, do we? (laughs) Because yes, Abraham's got him down to 10. Well, not that he's been twisting God's arm, but we know that. Uh, God won't destroy it for the sake of ten. But what about nine or eight or seven or six or five or four? Like, how many people would you need for the righteous to be spared? So we're left on tenner hooks. Will God find ten righteous people in the city of Sodom? Or will Lot be destroyed along with the wicked? And when you get to chapter 19 it opens much like chapter 18. Back in chapter 18, Abraham was sitting in the opening of his tent in the midday sun. Uh, Here, the two angels arrive at Sodom, not in the midday, but as darkness is falling. We're told back in chapter 13 that Sodom was notoriously wicked, but we've noticed that ever since then, Lot has been getting closer and closer to it. Chapter 13, he pitched his tent in the vicinity of Sodom. Chapter 14, he's living in Sodom. And by now, chapter 19, he's sitting in the gate where the elders of the city traditionally sit. There they are. (laughs) So I'm not sure it's a great trajectory that we're seeing from Lot. He seems to be coming closer and closer, more and more entangled with evil. But then again, on the flip side... The gate is where matters of justice were decided in a city. So the fact that Lot's the only one there might suggest that he's the only one who still cares about justice and righteousness in Sodom. Lot greets the visitors in a very similar way to Abraham. Uh, He offers them a meal. Uh, Abraham, literally, in chapter 18, offered them a scrap of bread and then provided them with a whole cow and about 20 kilos of uh, bread Uh, as well as curds and whey. Here we're told that Lot uh, provides a feast, but all we hear about is some unleavened bread. Lot greets his visitors, uh, and he insists that they stay at his place, not in the town square. And in verse 4 of chapter 19, we see why. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom both young and old to get the sense that the author is trying to stress that it's all of them yep, all of them surrounded the house, and they called to lot, "Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them." Now, quick sidebar: What they literally say is, "Bring them out so that we can know them." And so some scholars argue that what's going on is not about sex. They just want to interrogate these guys because they might be spies. They rightly point out that there's a theme of hospitality or a lack of it running through these two chapters. They point to the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. There's nothing about homosexual sex or rape or anything like that there. It's all about the poor and the needy. And the scholars are half right. Uh, God was well aware of Sodom's wickedness before this particular episode. That's why he was on his way to judge it in the first place. It's not about this one episode. But what they ignore is that to know someone is a Hebrew euphemism for sex. Literally, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. It's not like he did that by asking her some questions. And if it's not about sex, if the men of Sodom just want to question the men, then what Lot does next makes no sense. Because in verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they've come under the protection of my roof. We'll come back to this in a moment. But it's clear that Lot thinks this is about sex, right? This is not about question. So does the book of Jude, actually. Um, I got the right bit there. What's happened to my slides? Hmm. Okay, it's not there. Uh, Jude verse 7 says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion." So, what we're learning is that the people of Sodom are actually corrupt in all sorts of ways. They reject God's concern for the poor, and they reject his design for sex. And God brings judgment on both. It's worth asking yourself, where do you sort of fall on that spectrum? Are you the kind of moralistic conservative who's, you know, straight down the line on sexual issues, but you don't care about the poor? or do you trend more in the sort of social justice direction but anything goes as far as sex is concerned? Well, God will judge you for both. A second sidebar though, what's the deal with Lot offering his daughters to the mob? Because that seems really wrong, right? It's not just me, but that does seem wrong, right? Yeah. Some people think that he's just playing for time uh, and that's possible. I think he probably means it. And that would be okay in a sense, because maybe Lot's the bad guy, right? But Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says that Lot was a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. So is the Bible saying that Lot sending his daughters out to be raped is actually all good? No. No, the Bible is very clear that rape is evil. And God condemns it, whoever the victim is. And 2 Peter is right. Lot is clearly distressed by the depraved conduct of the men of Sodom. And it's their conduct that's put him in this impossible situation. There is no good outcome in this situation. There is no good choice. Why does Lot offer his daughters? We don't know. Uh, It might be a Middle Eastern hospitality thing, uh, it might be uh, about homosexuality. We don't know. And actually, I'm not sure that we need to because what's being held up here is not a model of Lot being a really good guy. What's being held up is how awful Sodom is that he would ever be in this situation in the first place. The Bible isn't endorsing Lot's desperate offer in a moment of crisis. It's condemning the men of Sodom. And as it turns out, they don't take him up on the offer anyway. Instead, they're outraged that he would suggest that they're evil. Verse 9, get out of the way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They resent Lot playing the judge But actually, the judge of all the earth is about to step in. Verse 10. The men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he sent us to destroy it. And destroy it, they do. Jump with me down to verse 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Now, if the language of judgment and destruction and burning sulfur makes you think of hell, you're not wrong. Uh, Jude 7, uh, like we saw before, says Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Would you like to talk more about God? No, No thanks, mate. I'm right. Everything's going pretty well for me. Well, yeah, it is. And so it was for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah before God's judgment rained down on them. We hate wickedness, don't we? Awful to see wickedness. Although we're fairly comfortable with our own. We want pedophiles and rapists and murderers to be judged. Uh, Just not us. But the Lord hates all wickedness, including ours. And he promises that he will judge it. So can anyone be saved? Have a look with me at verse fifteen. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. Well, what do Lot and his family need to do to be saved? Do they need to put in like years of like trying to be really good people, or you know, need to go to The tiniest church in Sodom, um, what do they need to do? No. All they need to do is trust God, to take him at his word, to act on the basis of it. They just need to run. And what does Lot do? He hesitates. But verse 16: when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Why is Lot saved from the destruction of Sodom? Is it because he's this perfectly righteous guy? No, not even close. He's badly compromised in lots of ways. He doubts, he hesitates. But just as Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness, so too when push comes to shove... Lot trusts the Lord, and the Lord has mercy on him. His wife stands in contrast to that. Lot and his daughters flee, but his wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. As Hebrews 10.38 says, quoting Habakkuk, "'My righteous one will live by faith, "'and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back.'" There's no use setting out on the journey to escape God's judgment. Only to turn back and be destroyed. It's those who have faith in God. Who keep going with him. Who are right with him and are saved. So what's all this showing us? The Lord told Abraham what he was going to do ahead of time. So that he would know that Sodom and Gomorrah. uh, the, The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Was not a natural disaster. It was an act of God. God will not let wickedness go on forever. In the end, judgment. But in allowing Abraham to bargain with him, God shows that he doesn't destroy the righteous along with the wicked. Will you destroy 50 righteous along with the wicked? No. 45? No. 40? 30? 20? 10? No, 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 no. And through chapter 19, he shows us that when even there's only a handful of righteous left, he still saves them. As 2 Peter 3.6 uh, puts it, if I can get this up. If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. That's what God is showing us with Sodom and Gomorrah. But why does Abraham need to know it? Remember back in chapter 18, verse 19, I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. As Peter goes on to say in his book, in his letter, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Abraham needs to know that judgment is coming and that the righteous will be saved so that he and his household and his descendants will live righteously before the Lord. Except there's one more thing about this chapter that I think is very interesting. It's striking that in Abraham's dialogue with God, he doesn't simply ask for the righteous to be saved and the wicked to be destroyed. He actually asks that Sodom be saved on account of the righteous. Won't you spare it for the sake of ten righteous people? And God agrees he will. What's going on here? Why doesn't Abraham just ask that the righteous be saved and the wicked destroyed? Well, I think it's actually got something to do with God's promise to bless all the nations through Abraham. Abraham's descendants are to keep the way of the Lord so that they may be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what we see come up in Exodus. Exodus chapter 19 there to be a kingdom of priests interceding for all the nations of the earth, holding out to them the same blessing that God has offered Abraham, being right with God and saved from judgment. But actually, as it turns out, Abraham's descendants fail. They turn away from God. And the prophets repeatedly say that if it hadn't been for God's mercy, they would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, the Bible is quite clear that all of us left to ourselves would become like Sodom and Gomorrah because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that raises a problem, doesn't it? If we need the righteous to intercede for the unrighteous and there aren't 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or even 10 righteous people, who can intercede for us? Who can advocate on our behalf? Well, there is one righteous person. The Apostle John says in his first letter, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What we're seeing here with Abraham is not just a picture of judgment and salvation, but actually a trajectory that runs through the whole Bible and comes to its climax with Jesus taking the judgment we deserve on himself on the cross. He became like Sodom and Gomorrah, that people from all nations on earth might be blessed through him, that all nations might share the blessing Promised to Abraham a right relationship with God simply by trusting in him. God put our righteousness on his credit card and he paid it off in Jesus' death. Why does being right with God matter? It matters because judgment is coming. And Jesus, who will bring God's judgment, Is the only righteous one who is able to intercede for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. So the question is, will you trust Jesus Christ, the righteous one, to save you from destruction? Or will you take your chances with Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave wickedness unpunished, uh, but that you promise uh, you will bring it to an end when the Lord Jesus returns. Uh, Father, we uh, long for that day, and yet we tremble at it as well, Father. Uh, Thank you that you keep us safe in the Lord Jesus, and we thank you that through him we have the privilege of being a kingdom of priests ourselves to call uh, those around us to repentance and faith, that they might share in the righteousness you won for us in Christ Jesus and be saved on the day of judgment. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we've got a little bit of time. We've got time for questions. Uh, Does anyone want to ask a question? Yes. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a combination of a show of hospitality and lots of awareness that bad things happen in Sodom. <laughs> um, don't stay in the town square, whatever you do. Yes. yeah. yeah. I mean, God himself is, um, uh, enters into sort of arguments with people. And, uh, you know, you see that throughout the Psalms and all through the Old Testament, uh, people um, trying to persuade God about things. Um, why does God allow that to happen when he's actually already got it sort of planned out? Um, I think because it's beneficial for us. Um, so I think it's, it's beneficial for Lot. Um, to have to go, no, 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 no! Don't, don't stay in the town square. Come, come, stay at my place. Um, that reveals something good about lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Appearing to change your mind and actually changing your mind are not quite the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? Oh, there's so many questions in this passage. You need to go and read it again to have a think about it. Um, uh, It's worth thinking about, actually, as you go over the whole of Abraham's life from chapter 12 to 23, it'd be worth thinking about how many aspects of the gospel do you notice in those chapters? Yeah, Lily, you've got one last question. This is going to be the one question I can't answer, isn't it? Oh, go uh, on. Uh, so when it says the Lord ran down, what was it, sulphur? fire? From, yeah, Salter? From the
0: Lord out of heaven. Yeah. evidence of Old Testament
1: uh, And What are you thinking? Like, in what yeah. sense? Oh, um, I think that might be drawing too long a bow. Yeah. I'm not sure it's evidence of the Trinity. It might just be um, sort of restating it. Uh, The Lord rained down sulphur from heaven. Um, How does it put it here? It's... um, Yeah. So it could be the Lord rained down sulphur from the Lord out of heaven. Uh, It could just be a sort of slightly artsy way of writing it yeah yeah cool all right well uh that will do let me hand back over um, and we will go